This talk was recorded by Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the college ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church, as a part of the 2020 Virtual Leadership Project. For more information on VLP and Campus Outreach Minneapolis, visit cominneapolis.org. So when I was working um, with the staff uh, last week, you know, but one of the first things everybody wants to know is how have I been doing living in quarantine and uh, what has it been like? And so this is an example of what it's been like. Um, a lot of uh, family time, a lot of time at home, and um, a lot of a lot of parenting issues <laughs> and, and things like that. But um, you know, it's it has been um, you know historic. I want the first thing I want to make very clear is that we're living in you know what we're we're going to see in history books one day. And you know how when you may talk to an elder, a grandparent, or a great grandparent, you say, "What was it like living during World War II?" You know, what were you doing, you know, doing these historical events? Just think people are going to be asking you, what were you doing in 2020, 2020, you know? And so you have a chance now to let them know what were you doing, what were you a part of, were you proud of what you did, how you responded. You know how people say, well, if I was living, you know, doing those days, I would have done this differently, you know? But now you can say, what, so what are you doing today? Um, because you are, you're living history. And so I did want to just open up with that and also just, you know, I personally, on a personal note, um, this has been a challenging time uh, for me in different ways, but I'll intro with a story and also I'm going to share a little bit of a passage. And so if you um, are familiar with Ephesians chapter two, I'm going to be basically um, sharing uh, a story that I, I use, you know, Ephesians chapter two as a context. So the, the, the scripture reference for the story Um I believe that scripture is uh, living, active, and we, we must not only uh, read it, but live it and apply it to our everyday life. And so I'm going to give you like an everyday life story, but the context of the story is going to be Ephesians chapter 2. By show of hands, um, raise your hand if you're familiar with Ephesians chapter 2. I'm, I'm literally scrolling across the screen to see how many people have their hands up. This is very interesting. <laughs> okay. All right, I'm trying to see how many people have. A lot of people are just kind of uh, not muted, but the video is off, so I can't really see if you have your hand up. Um, but I think I would dare say, I'll make an assumption that most, if not all of us, are familiar with Ephesians chapter two. And so the story that I'm gonna tell you, um, I think is a great way to contextualize that, that verse. And so um, I was involved, for those of you who don't know, I was um, a student, I was involved with Campus Outreach um, in the Charlotte, North Carolina region. Um, and I was on beach projects. I was the project, the student project director on our, our first North Carolina beach project. On my second beach project, um, I was a room leader. And one of the guys in my room uh, was named Paul Potit. I don't know if anybody knows who that is, but Paul Potit was actually in my room and I was actually his room leader. Uh, God bless me, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, just to give you a context, I, I have been around for a while uh, with Campus Outreach in the ministry uh, from a student perspective, from a staff perspective, and now as a sort of a, you know, layperson professional uh, perspective, getting the opportunity to, to come back and be a part in some way. So um, that's a little bit of, of the context. So uh, I get together um, yearly with four other guys. Um, one of the guys was our disciple leader uh, when I was a student. So it's him and then uh, three other guys that I was sort of discipled with. And actually, I discipled, I discipled two of the guys myself. 
And then he discipled them after I went on staff. And uh, he continued discipling them. So, um, and of those guys, one, two, three are white, and um, two are black. Me and the other uh, gentlemen are black. And um, <clears throat> all involved in the ministry. And so we get together at either a mountain house or a lake house or beach house or something and um, just talk about our life and uh, hold each other accountable. And we have something called the hot seat where one person will sort of sit in the middle or kind of just be uh, the one having the floor. They have the open mic. And they can talk about anything in their life they want to talk about. And everyone else who's around them gets to ask questions. It's like a fishbowl kind of thing. And no questions off limits. Uh, no questions too personal. No questions too hard. Because we really want to be honest and transparent. So um, <clears throat> there was one particular morning we were, it was like two years ago, we were in St. Simons, Georgia, and we were at a little restaurant. And somehow the, the topic of, you know, who do you vote for in the 2016 election came up. I probably brought it up. <laughs> you know, in fact, I did bring it up. Um, I love those kind of discussions. And so of the five of us, two people voted for Donald Trump. Um, two people voted for, no, one person voted for Hillary Clinton. And then two people voted for another candidate. Someone either wrote in or a third party candidate. And so among this, that group of five men, there was so much diversity in how, at least our political views anyway, or at least why we voted for who we voted for. And we actually talked about what influenced your decision to vote for who you did without judging, you know, without saying you were wrong for that vote. How could you think, how could you be, how could you do that? I thought you were a Christian. You know, thank, we, don't, we didn't do any of that. It was more of just seeking to understand. And I was leading, facilitating that, that process. And, you know, that's what I do. I mean, I, I help people have these important yet very difficult conversations. Um, and I live in that tension every single day. Um, I have clients that I work with professionally in counseling who talk to me about some of the most you know, shameful, um, heinous things at times. And I've got to be able to listen to them. Um, what we call unconditional positive regard because how many times in our life do we really get someone who listens to us like really think about it how what's the last time you really felt hurt i mean honestly when you really felt like someone was hearing you and not waiting to make their point you know so just, just think about that some of you may have the privilege of having you know yesterday or five minutes ago but um some of us may not and so people pay me to to listen to them I know it seems like an easy job, right? <laughs> but actually, it's, it's, it's very difficult. And one of the things I want to talk about as a content piece is um, listening tonight and how important that is in this whole struggle that we're, we're engaged in. So back to the story of the five guys. Um, so after we talked about how we voted, uh, we had a discussion. And, um, you know, we, it was very civil. So I assume that, you know, that all of our dialogues would be that way. But um, I got a rude awakening um, about four weeks ago, five weeks ago, when we were having a discussion about uh, COVID-19. So we couldn't meet together in person because of the virus. So we met just like this on Zoom, all five of us. And everybody was just kind of sharing openly, just, you know, the different people sharing. Nobody had the floor, per se. And um, I remember just feeling the sense of, like, when this virus hit, that we finally have something that has unified every human being. You know, it's finally something that no one can say it just affects poor people or it just affects people of a different race, a certain race, or it just affects Republicans or Democrats. But we literally have something that affects every human being equally, in, in a sense. Um, doesn't matter what country you're from. I mean, the whole world has been impacted by this virus. 
And so my mindset is on that level of, wow, finally something that we can all say we can relate to and not have a divide over it. And as I'm starting to go into this you know, speech, I guess, uh, one of the guys interrupts me and says, well, you know, African-Americans disproportionately are being affected and being, are dying from this disease, this virus more than other races. And it just struck a nerve. I mean, it, it, it pulsated through my body. I, I was livid. I, don't, I can't quite tell you how angry I was, but I was angry because one, I got interrupted. And then two, the, the, the flow where I was going was all about unity. Think about Ephesians chapter two. It's all about unity. And this person put a, a, a comment there that just divided us up. Immediately when I started thinking about race and black people, African-American people somehow being more impacted than anybody else, you know, just it bothered me. Not because that of black people being affected by it, but because honestly, it's not true. This, this virus has truly affected every individual person. And if you're getting your stats from Detroit, there are more black people in Detroit per capita. So it's 98% or so. So of course, they're going to be a higher percentage. You see, these stats that we hear so often, we have to fact check our stats because the media can paint any image of people they want to paint. And I think I was angry because of that, because I'm trying to talk about something that's going to unify us. But this person mentioned something that divided us. And we know in Ephesians chapter two, Jesus died so that we could come to be one in Christ, one under him, one under his name. And so it's like, as Christians, we talk often about how Christians, you know, we, we can't get involved and distracted by social issues. We have to focus on Christ. Well, Christ came so that two of the most different groups, Jews and Gentiles, could somehow become one. And that, that's a miracle in and of itself if you know about the legacy of Jews and Gentiles and if you know about the legacy of Scripture and how so many people groups were divided. Jesus came so that we could have life in him and be unified. And so I think I was angry because I really wanted to bring unity. And so we had this long discussion about how those facts aren't necessarily true. They're skewed. You're using a different certain data, data set that's giving you the, so we went into this whole long dialogue about it. But I really, you know, I just, I, I basically, I was the only one talking. I was just going straight forward saying all kinds of things, you know? And so um, it, it hurt, it hurt uh, my brother. Um, it, it hurt him. He caught him off guard and it hurt him. And the other brothers were sitting there like, what happened? You know? Um, but I mean, it, it truly struck a nerve. And so what I want you to hear here is that, yes, we had a difficult conversation. And, and yes, I said some things that I think this person needed to hear that were difficult because they came from a context where they grew up um, seeing black people in a certain light. They, they saw black people sort of marginalized in a certain place, and they kind of got stuck seeing black people that way. And you know, where I challenge this person, this person's very well educated. Um, he's an elder in this church. And so my, my thought was, he, 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 well, I can't do that. I can't do that. Um, some of you may know what it is. So, um, and he's, you know, he's an influencer. So I'm thinking if he is thinking this way and influencing other people, wow. What, what, what impact does he have? And so I, I felt it was important for me to share with him the concerns that I had. And I was able to concern, share those with him. He listened to me and I felt hurt. And I listened to him and he felt hurt. And I always checked in with him and said, hey, you know, do you, did you feel hurt? I mean, 
you know, what did I do that made you feel like I heard you? What made you, what did I do to make you feel like I didn't hear you? You know, and that's very important as you're having these conversations. It's, you know, we don't want to assume that people feel hurt. Um, and there's nothing wrong with asking, you know, did you feel like I heard you? Did, did I miss your question? Did I, did I not answer your question? Did I go off into my own, my own tangent and say what I wanted to say without actually listening to you? So it's very, very important, especially when there's emotion involved. And when you're talking about something so charged as race and racism that people want to, you know, share their point. And so I, just to give you another little bit more of a context, that brother and I were able to reconcile and we've known each other for many, many years. But the, the point is that it's, it's not, as you're having these difficult conversations, you know, it's interesting because uh, my, my kids were just watching their uh, vacation Bible school because obviously everything's online now. And they were talking about doing hard things. You want to share about this? My, my oldest daughter's still sitting here. She, didn't, she had no idea I was going to do this. You want to share about this? Of course she does. I don't know talking about doing hard things. Um, okay. Yeah, they just talked about um, how God helps you get through doing hard things. And, yeah, that's what the lesson was all about today. Okay. All right. Thank you. So our, our children are learning about doing hard things. What's harder than what we've been going through the past four weeks, five weeks, year, two years? Because it didn't just start with George Floyd, as, as I know you all know. It didn't just start with you know, Trayvon Martin and Michael Brown and so on and so forth. I mean, we know that the legacy in our country of racism has, has been extended many, many, many years and many, many generations. And so you would think in 2020 with all the improvements and the advancements that you know, we would have, and we have improved, we have advanced, don't get me wrong, but we, we still have a need to have these conversations and these dialogues. When you saw the anger that erupted, and again, you all being in Minnesota, uh, being on what I like to call the front lines, you saw uh, chaos, rioting, plummeting, um, violence, as we all did, but I think some of you had a chance, chance to be there on the, literally in the front face of it. So obviously there's still tension, there's still emotion there. So we're not, we've not gotten past it by any means. And so part of it starts out with dialogue. And so I, I wanna give you just some, um, some, some tips for listening because one of the things I asked the group, the staff, the staff team, you know, is it, we always wanna know, okay, what, what can we do? You know, how can we be a part of the solution and, and making change? But then we feel overwhelmed because we don't know, you know what to do a lot of times. And, how, how can we begin to, you know, right wrongs that have happened for many, many years? And, uh, you know, I talked about being, being content to be a link in the chain of change. That's a long chain. And those that came before us who were part of that link, they had their links, Dr. King and so on and so forth. They had their links. But we are carrying that chain of change on. And we, we need to be content with being a link. And not having, not having to see everything completely, um, you know, what I call sanctified. You know, when we are glorified and then sanctified, sanctified and then glorified. Obviously, nothing's going to be perfect until we're glorified, until we're with our Savior um, in, in glory. So we are part of this change and this change. And so, you know, but then I also, you know, I have mentors in my life. My mentor was telling me that, you know, in many, in many ways, you know, people just need to know, like, a simple step that they can take and make a change because everybody wants to do something, but everybody, everybody's something won't be the same thing. You know, so I'll say that again, everybody's something won't be the same thing. So your something may be different than my something, 
You know, someone asked me if I've been to, if I was at one of the local protests and that particular protest that day, I was not there. And I reckon, you know, no, by the way, there was no guilt on my part because I know what my link, the link that I play, I know that role and I know what God's called me to. And I know that I'm, I'm, being, I'm being faithful to do that. And so please don't let anybody shame you because you're something, it's not like they're something. Or they're something, it's not like you're something, if that makes any sense. So please don't be ashamed. We can't all be doing the same thing. We all have different roles to play in this chain of change, so, so to speak. And so I want to talk about the thing that we can all do, a practical thing we can all do, we can listen. And so I want to talk about how to do that. And I know that you would think that you know, something like listening would be easy, but um, listening is actually an active process. <laughs> uh, it takes work. Trust me, I do it all day, every day. And lately I've been doing it, looking at a screen, um, listening to people. So literally I'm looking at you all, but it appears to everyone I'm looking directly at you, but I really can't see everybody, anybody. I'm on my peripheral vision maybe because I'm not really looking at you. So it's just awkward, but uh, listening is not an easy thing to do. It's not an easy, an easy task to do. And so I'll use my daughter for this illustration. You don't got to really talk or anything. But um, I was, and then we'll get into a little bit of just some of the simple, simple steps. Um, I was in, uh, I'm living in Charlotte, North Carolina. How many of you remember that there was a police shooting in Charlotte, North Carolina about four or five years ago? Somewhere around in there. Raise your hand. You remember that? Okay. And it resulted in protesting uh, and then some rioting as well. Okay. Just trying to look at everybody's hands. So, you know, the little arrow, maybe, can y'all see the arrows on left and right? Well, I'm, I'm like scrolling through the arrows, but see who's raising their hand, because for some reason that's important to me. <laughs> so uh, I need to know that you're connected, you know? And so, um, so in Charlotte, I wasn't actually living in Charlotte at that time. I was in Georgia. And so I came up to do a speaking engagement for an organization about diversity and race, <laughs> ironically. And I kind of came in the throes of this whole thing. And I literally, something that happened in Texas, maybe a few days before that, a man was shot at his truck by an officer. He was unarmed from what, as far as we know, was shot by an officer. And I thought people, I saw on the news people were rioting. I thought, I thought, well, it was because of that. But it was something different. And it just happened in Charlotte. And so I came in doing that in the midst of all that. And I remember going to the church that night that I was a member of when I was in Charlotte for a local like rally or local visual, visual kind of thing. So they'll kind of come there, this open mic event about what was going on and just kind of get stuff off their chest. People were, anybody, well, the community was welcome. And so um, people came up to the microphone just talking about how they were, you know, distrusted police and they, you know, there's another one more thing the police did to show that they're not really there to protect and serve, but they, you know, there to, you know, distrust and all these different things. So one particular man came up and he had shared, he shared an opinion that was completely different. He, he talked about his father being a police officer and how his father tried to make a change and how his father was basically, uh, you know, rejected by the community and things of that nature. And it, it so happened that young man was white and his um, opinion, so not only did he have the courage to speak, in an environment that could have been considered hostile, you know, because nobody else had that opinion. Everybody else was talking about um, what was wrong with police officers. <laughs> and he felt the need to share his opinion. And so he sat down and every other person that came to the microphone pointed at him and said, and told him how much he didn't understand. 
how wrong he was, how his father, who's a white man, can take off his police uniform and nobody will know he's a police officer. But how me as a black man, I can't take off my, my face and my skin. Everywhere I go, people know I'm a black man. And so people were saying things like that to him to help him understand the differences. And it, you could just tell that it was just, there was so much, so much hostility in the air, you could feel it. Think back to Ephesians 2. Jesus divided, tore down the hostile dividing wall. So keep that in mind. There was hostility in the room, and there was one particular person who just went at him, like not physically, but verbally, verbally berated him, attacked him. And just, it was a verbal assault, not, nothing less, verbal assault. Um, and at the end of it, he was naturally upset. So he came to that person to, I guess, have more verbal dialogue, it wasn't really dialogue, more ver verbal altercation. And I felt the need to just go and be a part of it. So I kind of came, you come up here, Dustin. I came between, I was like literally in between them, but they were across from each other. And um, I was like kind of in the middle, but off to the side. And literally it was almost, it was as if this was happening. So um, I'll be the, the guy, you be the other person. Okay, I'm gonna talk and I want you to do this. No, you know, I, I really felt tonight that I came to a, a program where I could be open and speak my mind and everybody just, you know, was against me and nobody really wanted to hear what I had to say. It made me feel really upset. Okay. And then this person would talk. Now you talk to me. Um, hello, I'm doing a speech today and I'm going to be talking about stuff. Literally, they would go back and forth and not physically, but in, in a figurative sense, based on their body language and their behavior, it was as if they were physically putting their hands over their ears, and they weren't hearing a word the other said. They were just waiting for their opportunity to vent and to express their, their opinion. Now, let me scroll see where y'all at. Okay. Anybody got their heads down writing? Okay. <laughs> it is crazy to me. All right, so it really is. So, so at, but at the end of it, the, the, the guy that shared was just really upset. He was visibly upset. He, I mean, his face was red, his hands were shaking, and he was just, he looked angry and scared and frustrated, and disheartened all at the same time. And, and so I didn't know who he was, and I just felt a need to connect with him. And so after he got finished with this, whatever you want to call this back and forth, I asked him if I could talk with him. And I, I didn't tell the staff team this part of the story, but initially I went to him right after it was over, and he kind of pushed me to the side like, no, I don't have time because he wanted to go make a beeline to that other person to get his bone picked with them. So he kind of like, well, no, nah, I can't I don't have time for you right now. I got to get this person that really, you know, humiliated me. And so finally he's kind of able to hear and see me. And so I was like, well, can we just talk? So we went out in the lobby, people all around, and we just sat down. And I li all I said to him was this, how do you feel? And then I didn't say another word. And he went into, he literally said, I feel, I'm, I'm, and he used some choice words. You know, I'm not going to use those words because my daughter is sitting right here and I wouldn't use them anyway. So, I mean, he was upset. So he was just talking about, he was this, this, and this, and this. And all I did was just listen. And I didn't say, I, I, didn't, I didn't interrupt him. I didn't interject. I just listened. Talking about how his father was, as a white man in black neighborhoods, was treated unfairly, was treated with disrespect. Because, and he was trying to help black people. This, this is what this guy's saying, you know. And he talked about how he was bullied in school by black kids and how he tried to be, you know, a bridge and it just didn't work. And he felt, like, disconnected and wanted, you know, be part of change, you know. 
and felt misunderstood at that rally that night. And, you know, no one knew his heart. Like, he really wanted he really wanted to be there to support, but felt he needed to share a different viewpoint, and he just didn't feel like he was heard. And, and then he just started weeping. I mean, he just broke down just in tears, you know. And I'm just literally sitting there in silence. And, y'all, that's hard to do. I mean, it's hard to sit with a person and, and just sit in their pain without interjecting, without trying to rescue them. It's hard. You, it's try, if you don't think it's hard, try it sometimes. It, it is difficult. But the more you do it, it gives them a free space to just feel safe and to do their own healing. We, we call that person-centered therapy, where you don't really interject anything. You just create a safe place for people to heal. If anybody ever plays sports, you know, sometimes you just need time to just heal from whatever injury you had. You don't need a doctor to do anything special. You just need to rest and heal. And so I gave him that, that safe spot. And so after he kind of came to, you know, he's like, he's like, well, who, who, who are you? You know? And I said, well, let me ask you another question. I said, well, how do you feel? So I asked him, asked him how he felt at first, listened to him. And I said, well, how do you feel now? And he said, I feel somebody, he said, well, I feel better. But I said, this, he said, this is awesome and it's awkward. And I said, well, what's awesome? He said, well, you listened. You didn't interrupt me. I felt like you cared. You were right here with me. And I said, well, what's awkward? He said, well, you're black. <laughs> and he had been talking about black people the whole time. He was like, I didn't, I've never been listened to by a black person. And when he went to that rally, that was the same thing that happened. He wasn't being listened to. And the person he was going back and forth with was a black person. And so I made, I didn't know this, but I, had to, I gave him an opportunity to see something different that he had never seen before. And the irony of it was that he said, you know, you're not gonna, then I finally told him who I confessed that I was a professional counselor and things of that nature. And then when I, when I shared that, he said, you know what, this is crazy, but I'm in school right now. And I, it's hard for me to even tell this story without getting emotional. I don't know why. Um, but this part of the story, he said he was in school at a university in Charlotte, the counselor. And then said, I hope one day I can do for someone what you did for me. And you never know the impact you have by just being quiet and listening. You do not have to be a professional counselor. All you have to be able to do is just not talk. Stay present, even when it's uncomfortable. Now, was he saying some things that were a little uncomfortable for me to hear? Yeah. Staying present, staying with the person. And the, the staff team had an opportunity to watch me do this in like real life a few years ago when I did a training. And it's powerful when you can just be quiet and be in the moment and listen. And so how many of you by show of hands have had the opportunity in the, within the past week to truly listen to somebody? Keep your hands up so I can scroll and see who has their hands up. All right. Okay. All right. All right. Awesome. And so for if you if we were in the same room, I would like literally stop. I don't know if I even can and ask you what what that was like, you know, to to really be able to do that for somebody. Because you know how it feels when somebody does that for you. So the, the first thing in this whole process of listening, there's like four basic little, little reminders, a little hints to take. And I'll, if you want to take notes on I'll, I'll tell you. But the very first thing that you have to be able to do to really listen is to be able to hear the person. 
And if you think about social media and how, divide, how um, divided our attention is, how short our attention span is, how, how hard it is, somebody can be talking. Anybody ever experienced somebody's literally talking, you hear their voice. Hopefully this hasn't happened in the past 30 minutes, but you hear their voice, but your mind's somewhere else and you don't really hear them. I mean, what they're saying, but their mouth is moving. And sometimes we can't even physically hear, you know, whether it be our, our microphone is literally on mute, like mom was on earlier. So physically, you have to be able to hear that person without the barriers in the way. Uh, other noises, other sounds like that can disrupt our ability to hear. So if you're going to have a conversation with somebody, get somewhere where you can physically hear. I know that seems like almost self-explanatory, but literally get somewhere where you can hear. All right. So that's the, that's the first step to be able to listen. Number two is then you have to really, really um, pay attention to what they're saying. Focus on what they're saying, not on what you want to say. So hearing, number one. Number two, pay attention or attending to it, being attentive. Um, not, that part is not easy to do. And so you've got to be engaged. Eye contact, body length, body posture, all that is evidence of listening. And if you're leaning in, that actually helps you listen better because now your whole body is engaged in the process as opposed to you're kind of like this or looking to the side. I mean, you can still listen from that posture, don't get me wrong, but when you're leaning in, you're more engaged with that person, you're more connected. And also the other person will see that and it kind of encourages them to continue, continue to talk. So paying attention, and that's by evidence by eye contact, uh, body language, uh, looking at the person, um, not staring them down, but uh, making eye contact. Minimal encouragers. Minimal encouragers are things like, okay, those are minimal encouragers. Um, those kind of things just keep people going in the process. And then um, being able to be silent at the appropriate times. All right, so that's number two. So hearing, paying attention. Number three is understanding. If you're not understanding what they're talking about, then it's going to be really hard to effectively listen. This is where I really want to make a point. A lot of times people, particularly white people, will say, Jeremiah, I don't know what it's like to be black. You know, I can't understand that experience. And almost, they almost want to use that as an excuse not to engage sometimes. Like, well, I can understand it, so what can I do? I'm just a white person. I can't help you. I can't do anything. But um, that's, that's, that's not true. <laughs> um, if you don't understand something, what, what's one thing that you can do? And this is where I wish I was in the same room. Lord have mercy. If you don't understand someone or understand something, what's something you can do? Listen. Okay, so if you're listening and you still don't understand, how can you discover a little bit more, dig a little bit deeper into what that person might be talking about? Ask questions. Ask questions. I didn't even cure up, you know. Ask questions. That's what we do. I mean, it's, so, but a lot of times people are, and I'm going to say white people that I had, I've had this experience with are afraid to ask the wrong thing. So they don't ask anything at all. And so I want to encourage you, it's okay to do the wrong thing for the right reason. In other words, if you're truly wanting to know and learn, it's okay to make mistakes. Nobody is perfect. Only one person has ever been perfect. That's Jesus Christ. If you're not Jesus Christ, then you're not going to be perfect. So okay to make mistakes. So we, I just pray for humility. So pray for humility that you can ask questions, even if they seem like not so smart questions. It's the only, only way you're going to learn is to ask a question. Let me, so let me tell you a question you can ask that may help the person dig deeper. And so particularly over this race, this issue of race or 
with George Floyd in particular, um, you can ask a person of color particularly, um, you know, what, what hurt you about what happened to George Floyd? Floyd? How was that even maybe familiar? I mean, can you relate to something like that exact, but something like that? I mean, was that familiar to you in any way? What angered you about what happened? These are, these are the types of questions that get to what I call peeling off the layers of the onion. Most of the time we will kind of interact on the surface, you know, like, you know, I don't really want people to know my deep, dark stuff. So, you know, I'll just kind of keep the shell or the front up, the facade or whatever you want to call it. But if you know anything about peeling an onion, the more you peel back the layers, like the, when you first like the onion with the little crinkly, what do you call it? A little crinkly, the, you know what I'm talking about? On the outside of the crinkly is not the best word. Is crinkly even a word? I don't know. But the the out the exterior, you know, that when you start peeling that back, the softer it gets, and the, you know, the more moisture there is, and then the more the more potent it is. And you know, even you start maybe start to cry, your eyes may even start to water. Same thing with human beings. The more you peel back the layers of their you know facade and their um, you know sort of this fake persona. Uh, the more, you know, you may interact, you may engage with tears, you may see things that really hurt people. Um, and it's not easy to sit there with it, within all that. So I, I would be honest, it's not easy to do that. But, and by the way, like they were talking about in, tonight in vacation in Bible school, you know, doing the hard thing, you know, God can help you. As my daughter said, God can help you do the hard thing. Do we believe that? You know, we talk about it, you know, God can, he can move, you know, mountains, he can, you know, turn water into wine and separate the Red Sea. But, but can he help me, give me courage in these moments where I got to be with somebody that's hurting and I don't know what to say or what to do. And again, you got to know what to say, um, just be there. And I'm giving you some, some questions that you can ask. So anytime you're just not sure or you don't understand somebody, ask, you know, what, what was that like for you? I, I can't pretend to understand, but I, I want to hear more. And that'll make that person trust you more. It'll make that person want to open up to you more. And I, and I really believe you'll be able to have some empathy for what they, they've encountered and what they've gone through, in, in a sense. Um, at least you can hear it. And so it's important for white people to be able to hear it from a person of color because it's like with, this, with what happened to George Floyd. Um, it's world, it's had a worldwide impact. And when it's not just one people's voice, one people's group's voice, but when the world's voice is, in, is kind of echoing out and crying out, the power and the impact and the change that can take place is accelerated. And you already know in Minnesota, there's been policy changes already with in certain police uh, forces, there's been uh, policy changing, law legislations being written, all because people, I believe, were unified and, and spoke out, people of not just the African-American race. So it is very important to understand or to seek to understand the, the experience by simply asking questions. And so the last thing, that um, in that fourth step hearing, focusing or paying attention and then understanding what's being said, the last thing is to, to remember. The, the true test of whether you really listen to somebody is if you were able to remember what was said. And so remembering that's very, very important. And you know, in the counseling process, I will, will reflect content by saying, so what you're saying is, or what I heard you say was, and so this is another thing you can't be afraid of, to say, well, it sounds like you, you're saying that when you had this experience, you felt alone. It's okay if you're not right, because all they're going to do is say, no, that's not right. I didn't feel, I didn't feel alone. I felt, I, I felt betrayed. 
You see how you went from one. So they, they didn't get mad at you for getting it wrong. You were able to get, give more depth because they, it showed that you were trying at least to listen, to, to, to understand by saying, that's what I heard you say. No, but then it gives them the opportunity to clarify what they're actually saying. All you're doing is going deeper and peeling off more layers of the onion. That makes sense. So we call that just reflecting content where you're actually able to say, so what I'm hearing you say or what I think I'm hearing, uh, and I'll even say, please correct me if I'm wrong, but this is what I think you said. People love that, y'all. People love that because they know that you've heard them. You've at least tried to hear them, and that doesn't happen um, every day. I'm not trying to turn you all into professional counselors, but I am trying to give you some quick tools that you can use like right now today because, you know, starting an organization and a blog and a podcast is great, but may not happen tomorrow. But you can listen to somebody after tonight, even read. I know it's going to give you an opportunity to talk tonight about some of the content of what you heard. So you can practice these things like immediately and they're, they're powerful tools. And so um, let me just stop there because I know Reed, you may have some questions or um, some dialogue you want to engage in. So at that point, at this point. Yeah, that's great. Thanks. Uh, thanks for just kicking us off with a background and even, I think it's really helpful to start with listening. And I also apologize to all of you guys out there who at the beginning saw my face and Jeremiah's. I was trying to model listening for you guys. No, we had like, a, it was rotating. So that was on our part. That was our bad. Um, so you were talking just a minute ago about listening. Maybe we could stay on that topic for a couple minutes. Um, what, what do you do in a conversation when you're listening to someone, but like you said, the very thing, you're just ready to speak. So you hear something they say, but in your mind, you, you can feel the volcano erupt of your words wanting to come out and go after them. What do you do? Mm -hmm. I always think, but well, one thing, this is gonna be real simple. What you can do is the practical thing you can do is swallow. You cannot swallow and talk at the same time. So if you feel like you're about to erupt with words, swallow. I know that sounds very simple and basic, but do that, try it. You cannot swallow and talk at the same time. And if you can, see me afterwards and we'll make a lot of money, okay? So just simply swallow is one thing you can do. That's a physiological thing you can do. There's a type of therapy called gestalt therapy uh, and it's very physical. And so I'm, I'm gonna be watching the physical body language of people and, and swallowing is something that you can actually do that will prevent you from erupting in, in, in dialogue. So that's the one thing you can do from a physiological point of view, but from a, even a, a mental or psychological point of view, it is reminding yourself that you want to learn. And so I, I'm going to give you a real life example because I want this to be practical for everybody. Um, so, some of my clients say things that are, are inflammatory or um, hateful, um, evil, mean, whatever you want to say. Um, I've heard people who've abused others have had to come to me um, who have done all kinds of heinous things, right? And so one of the things that I do and it reminds me that keeps me from erupting in, in dialogue or saying something is that I am a sinner too. My sin may not look like their sin, but I am a sinner too. And so when someone tells you something that seems in your mind terrible, when you go <gasps> like that, it shuts them down immediately. Okay. It'll shut them down because then they'll feel judged, feel con almost con maybe be condemned, but it's reminding yourself that my sin is different but I, I'm a sinner too. And God probably does that to me. God could easily do this stuff, all of us. Ah, 
you know, because he's perfect. You know, Jesus is perfect. He could easily do that to all of us. He chooses not to do that. So that'll be another thing to say, you know, I'm a sinner too. So whatever sin they're going to say and tell me, it may, mine may not be the same, but just like God is patient with me, I need to be patient with my brother or my sister. And so um, some of my clients, I don't want to get too much into politics, but some of my clients um, are Trump supporters. And, you know, I, I really am, I really, I'm a naturally curious person anyway, which helps me in what I do. But like, I really want to know, you know, kind of what they're thinking. You know, I really want to know, you know, you know, what makes them so strongly supportive. And so it's not hard for me to stay there because I'm curious. And so even when they're saying things that maybe are, are you know, block, you know, one-sided or are not very you know, insightful or just maybe mean, I'm able to stay with it and re recognize that I'm trying to learn something here. And then I'm able to reflect content. So what you're saying is, you know, this is what I'm hearing you say, but then I'm able to do what we call sometimes a double-sided reflection where I reflect their content, but then I add my own content. If that makes any sense. So I reflect their content first. That way they're knowing I'm listening, but then I may also reflect my own content just to kind of get more clarity. So what you're saying is that, um, I'm trying to think of something random. But what you're saying is that you really felt like um, the, the economy is moving forward. And so it doesn't really matter, you know, maybe some of the other things that have happened. Yeah, yeah, I'm saying, okay. Well, you know, what do you think about the people who've been impacted by those things that have happened? And because I've listened to them and I'm engaged in that dialogue already, there the threat is not there. The um, what's the other word that the tension is not there. The barrier, the wall, Ephesians two, the dividing wall, is not there. They're not they're not defensive. They just think I'm a guy. They're listening to them having who's curious, and I really am curious. I'm not asking the question to trap them. You know, I really want to know. So, how do you think the other person felt when that happened? If you know, if you think so, anyway, you know, this too. I'm trying not to get too specific about things, politics, things like that, but. So you just kind of reflect the content and then just share maybe even a thought. But I'm saying don't do that now, but this is more advanced stuff. But when you feel that volcano erupting, wanting to speak, swallow physically, remind yourself that you are a sinner too, and then ask sincere questions. So if you, if you have a question that you're just going to ask to kind of get your point out there, try to refrain, but ask yourself, what am I really curious about? What do I really want to know from this person? You know, what, what, what am I missing? So that, I think that would help you in that, in that process. Yeah, that's great, man. Um, so you were just talking about listening. And uh, I think a lot of what we're talking about with George Floyd and all the racial injustice here, especially in Minneapolis, um, I would say a lot of the conversations have been personally for me with people that disagree. And I'm just curious, would you say, or what kind of tips would you give to having a conversation where you already know the starting point is disagreement? So, um, I know you, you gave us tips to listen, which is probably step one is, is listen, build mm -hmm. trust so you can even get an opportunity to share. And, but I, I know with our staff team, you shared some helpful thoughts too, of just if the starting point is disagreement, how do you have that conversation? Yeah, it's good. It happens a lot. It happened, you know, a couple of days ago. Um, I think with that, my, the example I gave of my, my, my close friend, you know, we, we had some disagreements. And so, you know, and I went directly, and this is going to be, I got to be careful how I say this. So I listen for a living and I'm, I'm, I'm good at listening. <laughs> um, but that particular context, I had to speak. That, that was a time to, to speak. 
And that was a time to, to right or wrong, to clarify something. And I've known him for many years. So keep that in mind too. That, that was the context. And you, many of you may have family members who you've known for a while who, who you know fundamentally disagree with you already. So you know if you go to visit them or see them, you already know they come from a place that's different from your place. The first thing I always do when I know that from the very beginning is I try my best to find a common ground. Even, it may sound silly, but even if we like the same football team, I'll try to start from some place where I know we have some level of agreement. Or if I don't know we have, I'll find something that there's a level of agreement on. So even when I was talking to someone the other day about what happened with George Floyd, they would talk, well, I'm, I'm embarrassed. For this person, I'm embarrassed to even say it, but they were literally saying things like, well, you never know what those police officers felt. You know, I'm not saying it was right, but you never know what they what they felt. They were just kind of going into it. And I'm thinking, okay, um, I kind of know what this. This it was a one-on-one dialogue, by the way, so it wasn't anybody else in, involved in it. And so I asked them. I said, "Well, it sounds like you were kind of trying to see it through the eyes of the police officers." And they're like, "Well, yeah." And I said, "Well, you know, cool. So you can see it through the eyes of police officers. Let let's do that for a second. We did that. Now let's see it through the eyes of maybe George Floyd." So then I turned it and said, okay, let's, let's have some reciprocity. Okay, if you're really trying to look at it through that perspective, cool, let's do that. So now let's look at it through the other perspective. What do you think that person might've been feeling? And he's like, well, I mean, I guess they probably, you know, that's how I started, you know? And I said, well, okay, what else do you think might have been happening to this person? Well, I mean, you know, but I mean, you know, it wasn't right. It wasn't right. I'm not saying it was right. Okay. And so that, that was the person that I knew had a different opinion. And so I started by just saying, hey, let's find some common ground. You know, let's, what can we agree upon if, if there's anything there? Because what you got to do if you want to stay in that dialogue is find some common ground. Because otherwise, somebody's going to check out pretty quick if they don't feel that they can, that you're gonna, that they can trust that you're going to hear them. Sometimes I would even start with a disclaimer and say, hey, I know we disagree, you know, on some things. But, man, we're, we're, we're two human beings. You know, <laughs> that's one common ground, you know. You know, we, we want we want what's right. We want, you know, people to live in peace, right? You know, so, you know, what can we say? I mean, what can we, you know, agree upon in, in this dialogue? And so if there's not, if there's not any common ground uh, that you can find with that person, then, you know, I, I would honestly seriously suggest praying, just praying for that person. And if that person's a Christian, do what the Bible says, you know, go back to them with another brother, and you know, don't confront them on your own. So use a biblical model if that person's a believer. But I would say find common ground. Um, when you feel it getting hostile, intense, you know, be able to step back and say, okay, I, I see we're kind of disagreeing. You know, what can we agree on? And then let's try to look at it through the other eyes of each other. So I always give the car, the car analogy. If you're looking, if we're looking at the same car, you know, it's the same car, but one side has a big dent in it, other side is perfect. And I happen to be looking at the side that's perfect. And you have to be looking at the side that has a dent. If someone says, well, how does the car look? I'll say it looks perfect. And you'll say it has a dent in it. So who, who's right? Both. Same car, different perspective. So sometimes, I'm not saying everybody's always, their perspective is always right. But sometimes just being able to stop and say, okay, my pers- from what I can see, my perspective, I'm right. I mean, I don't see anything else. But when you go to the other side of the car, you say, oh, wow, this, so this is what you were looking at. So that's a literal example for, for a figurative problem, you know, that we don't always see it through the other eyes. And so quick quiz, 
uh, for those that were listening, if you don't understand something and you don't see how somebody can think a certain way, what can you do? Destiny? Ask a question. Say it louder. Ask a question. The girls have been listening, all right? So you can ask. So I'm going to go back to that um, throughout this whole time. So, so men, uh, you've, you've talked about listening and having hard conversations, and specifically with people that disagree with you. Um, could, could you just speak for a moment um, from your perspective? Like, I think like all over social media and different things, there's um, comments related to Black Lives Matter and All Lives Matter. And for, from your perspective, could you just give a word to what, what are those, how do those phrases land on you when you see and hear and read those phrases? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So let's put Black Lives Matter on one side of the car and All Lives Matter on the other side of the car, which is true. Do All Lives Matter? Do Black Lives Matter? Yeah. And so the people on the Black Lives Matter side of the car are right. Black Lives Matter, but based on policing in our country, based on other injustices in our country, Black lives have it's not been demonstrated. We don't see evidence that black lives matter. It doesn't look like they matter when someone can put their knee on a man's neck for no reason until he dies, until he can't breathe. Black lives, it don't look like they matter. And you can go down the whole list of examples of when it doesn't look like black lives matter. When a man can have a gun permit legally, but get shot in front of his daughter and his, his girlfriend, his partner. It doesn't look like black lives matter. When a kid can be walking from the store in the neighborhood and get shot, chased down, followed, and then shot and killed by a security officer or a night patrolman, community watch patrolman, it doesn't look like black lives matter. And we can go on and on and on and on. And because of these historical examples, when Black Lives Matter started, the whole thrust of it was Black Lives, there's no evidence, there's very little evidence that we see that Black Lives Matter. So we want to proclaim and remind everyone that Black Lives Matter. Black Lives are important. Why are we being treated like they're not? They don't. That was the heart and the thrust of the Black Lives Matter movement. It wasn't to negate all other lives because all other lives, particularly white lives, already matter. There's evidence that white lives matter. Dylan Roof, Dylan Roof was heavily armed, walked into a church, sat on the front row, prayed with the people, and then shot them in cold blood. And then was taken to go get something to eat by the police. Come on. So that, that's why the Black Lives Matter movement, and he, and he was armed, heavily armed. That's why the black lives, because we already see that other lives matter. That other voices are heard. We already see that. So there was no, there was no malice. It was simply saying, hey, you know, to, it was to lift up black lives, not to tear down other lives by any means. But because people don't listen, what the white, not the white lives matter, but the all lives matter people heard was, oh, so you're trying to say that black lives are more important than other lives and all lives don't matter? No, all lives matter. I don't see color. All lives. It's not, it's not right for you to just say that black lives. I want, I want people to know that all lives matter. And it just so happened that I know a lot of evangelical Christians 
who seem to have that viewpoint that all lives matter, which we, we do agree. But if they were just listening, they would, they would hear, I hope that Black Lives Matter wasn't saying that your life didn't matter. It was simply trying to pull up a people whose lives it was demonstrated did not matter. It was, it was pulling them up, not pushing you down. And so I think that's an example of the car. It's like, if you could just take a moment and just come to the other side and listen, you hopefully will hear that this is not an attack. But because we live in a very divisive world and in a very divisive country, it all, it's always the polar opposite. Keep that in mind. So even with, even with Democrats and Republicans, if you really talk to people who vote a certain way, they, they're not necessarily astute about the issues. They, they, they're not, not necessarily. Not, some of them are, but the ones I talk to aren't. They're just voting because of what they always, it's always done. They're not necessarily listening to the candidates and the issues. They may pick one issue the candidate supports and they may vote based on that or however they may do it. But if we would just take time to listen, I'm gonna share something I'm very vulnerable right now, transparent, that I haven't shared. I shared it today privately with a close friend. And it's not that I'm ashamed of it by any means, but I, I, I am ashamed of it. That's why it's hard for me, but I wanna confess. Um, for the first time, I, I've actually started listening, like really listening to Malcolm X. Whereas in the past, I kind of just kind of held him at bay. You know, like, uh, I don't agree with, he's, he's a Muslim, you know, I don't agree. I finally started listening to Malcolm X. Well, not listening to some uh, videos. But don't ask me if he's still alive. No, she knows he's not alive. She's like, how do you listen to him? You know, <laughs> good, good yeah, yeah. I've been listening to what he's saying. And if you if you read the autobiography of Malcolm X and saw, even saw the movie, you know that he had a conversion of, of sorts. And so, point I'm trying to make is that I, I judged him and I'm a black man. And that's another whole story for another whole day. But I'm starting to listen more. And I'm hearing what I was like, why well, I, I never realized. And you, I think once we listen to each other, the Black Lives Matter and All Lives Matter will really see that they're, they believe the same. They want the same thing. But if you really believe that all lives matter, that doesn't include black, black lives, by the way. And so it's no, it shouldn't be a problem for you. Well, I shouldn't say shouldn't, but why is, it a, why is it difficult for you to then say that black lives matter? If you believe all lives matter, why is black lives mattering a problem for you? Because aren't black lives a part of the all lives also? So that, that's really the hopefully, hopefully that explains it. But, you know, you've got to be careful, though, because how can I put this? Whether you like it or not, those two, term, those two phrases are aligned politically, whether we like it or not. So if you want to hold a sign up that says Black Lives Matter because you believe it, great. But just know what people may, how you may be judged. If you want to put it on your Facebook post, great. But just know that you may be judged because of that. I'm not saying you should not do it by any means, but I'm just saying that because we live in a polarizing world, people have to have something to fight about, fight against and, and struggle against. So keep, keep that in mind, but at the same time, they'll give you a platform to, to share why you have that on your, your page. And I would never suggest trying to have a dialogue about anything that matters on Facebook or social media, my opinion, because the filter, I mean, things can get so distorted by the filter. But if you know that person, I, I, I would suggest just calling them or texting them and saying, hey, can we have a dialogue in person or over the phone, if nothing else, because the, the filter, and then you have all these other people that add in stuff, like put comments on top of the comments and they end up saying something you didn't really mean. And somebody gets mad about what they said, and, you know, it's crazy, right? So I, I, would, I would say, 
um, have a you know have a dialogue with that person. And so the Black Lives. So what I'm gonna say, I'm gonna sum this up. Black Lives Matter is was never intended to be divisive, in my opinion. It was to lift up a people that need to be lifted up, and for awareness to be raised where awareness need to be raised. And the folks that started saying All Lives Matter, if they really believe All Lives Matter, encourage them to believe that Black Lives Matter as well, and to see the important in Black Lives Matter also. So that's, that's all I'll say about that in the time we have. I could go on and on about that though, but yeah. No, that's great. Um, this is kind of shifting gears to a different set of questions here, which just remind everyone out there, if you guys have a question, feel free to, to chat it to Campus Outreach and we'll, um, we'll field some of your questions as well here. Um, I think you mentioned this at the very beginning, the idea of two doors and walking through the hard door. Could you just expand on that a little bit and specifically what does that mean? Many of us on this Zoom call are college students, majority culture, again, a majority of this group. Um, what does that mean to walk through the hard door? Wow. I'm actually glad my daughter is here because I do tell this story. Like her, her best friend, her best friend is, is biracial, but her friend looks white. Um, but her friend has chosen to go through the hard door, meaning she's chosen to let people know I'm actually biracial. She chooses to, there was a play they had at their school and all the African-American students were recruited to be a part of the play because it was for Black History Month. And she was part of that because she identified with her black heritage, you know. And so she is going through the hard door. All that means is choosing to be involved with racially charged issues to fight for racial harmony, social justice, and unity when you don't have to. Um, if you're a white person, I'll just say it bluntly. I have to do that because of how I look. I can't, I can't choose to look a different way, not, and I wouldn't want to. I think I look pretty good. So I, I wouldn't choose. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but I mean, I'm very, I'm very happy with who God made me uh, as a black person. But, you know, she, she could go through the easy door and just pass for white, to be honest with you, and not have to have those difficult conversations and not have to have the, the interactions that she has. And she may have a difficult, more difficult time in some ways than, than people, African-American people, because now she's having to kind of navigate different, different viewpoints, different opinions. And, through, through different lenses. And so, you know, going through the hard door is when, you know, you all as college students, uh, majority white ministry, majority white culture, majority white um, in student involvement and uh, peers involved, peer involvement, you know, it's not, you don't necessarily have to engage in, these di in this dialogue. You necessarily have to talk about issues of social justice and, and racism. But by, and, and, and then speak up when you hear someone saying something that is racist. You don't even have to do that because you're going to be privy to people saying racist things around you because you're white and they think they can say those things around you. But then for you to speak up, that's not easy. That's going through the hard door. You don't, and you don't have to go through that door. Um, Jake Fromm is a quarterback for Buffalo Bills. He was a quarterback for University of Georgia. He's from the same place we used to live when we were in Georgia. Um, and some of you already know I've said this, shared this story with you, but for those of you who don't know, he had a private conversation with someone through a text and it was made public where he basically said um, something to the effect of, you know, they should make guns so expensive that only rich white people can afford them or something like that. I didn't actually see it. So I can't, I'm not, I may be wrong on that. So, uh, but he got into a lot of trouble for it, you know, big, big deal about it. But the girl who I guess exposed it went through the hard door, by the way. Um, 
It's not easy to do something like that, particularly if you're, you know, don't have to. That was a private conversation. She never had to expose that. Now, you may think that was wrong. You may have an opinion about that, but my point is that's putting herself out there now. And my, my understanding is that she did it because she felt like she had to do something to expose racism. Because I think we would agree that, that comment was a racist comment. I think that's pretty, pretty clear. So she felt as though, even though nobody else knew, it was her job to expose it. So think about all the racist comments that you've heard. And actually, let me actually stop here. I'm, I'm just really curious. Um, by show of hands, how many of you would say you think you've heard or you know you've heard a racist comment at some point in time in your life? Raise your hand. Okay. It looks like everybody that I can, some of y'all trying to hide behind that, that screen. Y'all can see, I can see your name and you're muted, but I know you're there. So again, I, I love being in person with people. I love interacting with people, but I'm doing the best I can with this. So, so think about that. You know, you've heard it and you, you've heard it and you identified it personally that it was a racist statement. Going through the hard door is, is saying something. And so with me, even when people say things that are sexist, because I'm a man, they, they're going to say those things. Men are going to say those things around me. So I got to go through the hard door and say, that's wrong. I have two daughters, a mother, a sister, a wife, you know, aunts, grandmother, sisters in Christ. I can't just listen to that. I have to say something. That's going through the hard door. I don't have to do that. And so that, that's the whole idea of going through the hard door is when you're in a position where you can pass or when you can take, where you can just avoid it. And, and choose not to engage, choosing to engage anyway. When you can choose not to run uphill, but you're choosing to run uphill anyway. That's going through the hard door. And, and Camps Outreach, Minnesota, seems to be um, pretty content on going through the hard door. And so praise God. <laughs> so I think that's awesome. So, uh, um, you know, I, I want to get to some, some practical things that you were helping us with. And, um, one of the things we asked you the other day was voices you're listening to. And you told the story of, of two men in your church, leaders in your church. Um, and I just thought that that's like a really good starting point for voices to listen to. And I'm wondering if you could just tell that story and um, explain that to us a little bit. Yeah. And I, I'm smiling for a certain reason. I don't know if I can even tell you why I'm smiling. Um, well, I, I'll, I'll just start talking about it. Hopefully I can, maybe I'll tell you in a minute, but I'm um, so, um, the church that we, first of all, the church that we go to, I, I think is very unique. Um, it's a PCA church. The pastor is black. Um, there's an associate that's black, another associate who's Korean, and another associate who's white. And his wife is black. The, the white associate pastor, his wife is black. Okay. Very diverse leadership team, very diverse elder team. And so, uh, but the majority of the church is actually a white congregation, the majority. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know the exact numbers, you know, so I'll be lying if I try to quote the exact number, but I'll probably say it's the majority is probably white. I'll, I'll say it's white. So we have a lot of opportunity in our church for these kind of dialogue. And so whenever everything happened with the George Floyd being murdered and then the outbreak and the, out, the protests and then some of the rioting, looting, um, the white elders were encouraged by one of the leaders in the church to call all the African-American members to just say, hey, we're here for you. We love you. We support you. Something like that. But then another African-American leader in the church um, said to the elder, another elder said to the elders, don't do that. That's patronizing. 
because you, you know, you don't normally call that person. You don't have a personal relationship with them. Why would you just not start calling them now? You know, so don't just start now. If you really cared, you would have called them already. You know, would have been in dialogue with them throughout, you know, this normal interaction with them. So there was just two leaders in the church. So one was an elder and one was not an elder, but one was actually a significant leader in the church. Um, and I'm, you know, I'll tell you why I'll smile in a minute. Um, so these two very influential people are giving advice to some of the white elders. And one of the white elders called me and said, you know, I don't know what to do. You know, I, I want to call, but then this, this elder told me not to call. You know, this leader told me to call. But what? He, he was asking me, you know, what do I do? You know, that tends to happen to me a lot. <laughs> and so I, I, the first question, because, you know, the first thing that came to me was, okay, you're hearing the voice of this leader, hearing the voice of this leader. You know, what, what is God's voice saying to you? And I asked myself, well, what is the Holy Spirit telling you to do? Sometimes I think we forget that the Holy Spirit speaks to us, that he is a person and that we have a relationship with him like we do with Jesus and that he wants to talk to us. And so it's at critical moments like this where I believe our Christianity gets put on front street where our Christianity gets real, where we get to say, God, what do we do? Speak to us. Holy Spirit, come visit, visit us. Just like you did during these other times in history that have been difficult and charged, we need your voice. And he seemed, the, the elder seemed so relieved by that. He seemed freed up. Now, now, you know, he can just do what he wanted to do, you know, what he was in his gut and heart to do anyway, right? He was just trying to honor these two voices, you know, and so, um, no, I'm not, I'm not going to even go. It's not, it'll distract us, so I won't go there. But um, that, 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 was, that was something that happened in the midst of all this that I, I did share that I think is powerful. So, you know, if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. He's, he lives in you. He's your comforter. So go, go to the Holy Spirit. Go to God. Go to Christ and ask. Ask him. So I, we can't forget the power of God in, in all of this. When we asked the question originally, we were hoping to get a list of all these great people we should look up. And you told that story, and I was like, man, we need to start with, with God and what, what's yeah. the Spirit telling us to do. Um, Absolutely. But, man, as we, as we move towards kind of more practical things, um, you shared with our staff team a grid, kind of as we think about where we're at, where we're going, where we want to be. Um, I'm curious if you could just introduce that a little bit for our yeah. students. Um, yeah, because, and then before we say goodbye to you, I'd love to, to pray for you. So, um, but I wonder if you could just introduce that grid a little bit, because yeah. I'd love some time where we could reflect on a few questions in a little bit. That's right. So if you could, if you are, if you are writing anything, <clears throat> anything down, um, write down three columns, if you can. Just write down three things and uh, three columns and just look um, at those three right there. So I want to ask them exactly. So a lot of people want to know, you know, what can I do? Um, and so I want you to write down in the first column, um, what have I done in the past when it, when it comes to issues, particularly of race? What have you done? What have you done before already? What have you done? What are you doing right now? 
the middle column. So what are you currently doing? And then in the third column, what do you hope God will use you to do in the future? What have you done? First column, middle. What are you doing right now in the middle of all this that's going on? And then what do you hope God will use you to do in the future? All right, so give me a minute to write those down. There's one other thing I want to share in light of that. So if you're thinking about what you have done, what you are doing, and what you hope to do, maybe on another side of that sheet or somewhere else, write down what are, what are the barriers that potentially could keep you from, from acting, from doing those things, particularly that you hope to do. What are some, some things that could block you, that could get in your way, that you're going to have to fight through? Because what happens whenever something like that's happening right now with, um, I keep referencing George Floyd, but um, George Floyd particularly, there's a lot of intensity. There's a lot of um, dialogue, a lot of discussion, a lot of people trying to figure out what to do. And God has helped me get from one screen to the other. Couldn't do that. Um, man, you need to be here all the time. Um, so we, we forget, it, it loses steam at some point, right? We, we kind of move on. Do you, do you, did you see how like COVID-19 got pushed to the side for a few days. How we, all we had hear, been hearing up to this point was COVID-19, the coronavirus. And then when the riots and protests and all that started, it was like I almost, almost forgot about COVID-19. Almost. So show us how the media can just drive us anywhere they want us to go almost. How they can make us think anything they want us to think. You know, focus on what they want us to focus. It's amazing, really, to me. But, you know, it's just what would be a barrier? What would, when all this kind of subsides and, and things go back to normal, what will keep this, what will, what will keep you going through the hard door? What, what will keep this in the forefront of your mind and what will prevent you from keeping this in the forefront? So think about that as you're thinking about barriers. This is an example of what a barrier could be just when things die down, when it's easy to go back, when nobody's talking about it anymore, when things go back to quote unquote normal, you know, could that be a barrier for you? You know, what will you do to keep this in the forefront of your mind? Not, not so much just what happened to George Floyd, but the overall problem of racism, of social injustice, of police brutality. These are all the issues that we have to keep in the forefront. What happened to George Floyd was something that we all saw, unfortunately, witnessed that was, that was heinous. And it, 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 it struck a nerve in the world, you know, the hearts and minds of the world. And it's, it was the moment, the catalyst that has got the momentum going. But how will you keep that going? So what have you done already? What are you doing? What do you hope to do? And what barriers may prevent you from uh, moving forward in that direction you want to go? Thank you for listening to this message from the 2020 Virtual Leadership Project, hosted by Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the College Ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Please feel free to share this message with others, but please do not charge for, edit, or alter the message in any way without the written permission of Campus Outreach Minneapolis. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at cominneapolis.org.